0: Our son, Leo, is in kindergarten, and he is working on his numbers. Four plus five, he likes to use his fingers, nine, three plus four, seven. And he delights on that moment when these two distinct numbers come together and land on just one correct number. As a parent, I delight in this as well. I love seeing the brain bringing it all together, but also there's a part of me that just loves seeing some part of the universe that makes sense. No gray areas, no caveats, no this side and that side, no uncertain odds about how it'll work or what the risks are. It's just this plus this equals this. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to have a little more of such clarity among any number of questions before us today? It's one reason I think that many of us, and rightly so, love the book of Proverbs in the Bible. If you ever turn to that book, it's a book uh, with a lot of equations. <laughs> no ill shall befall the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Do good equals no ill. Do bad equals troubles. Or elsewhere in the Proverbs, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Diligent equals abundance. But everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. Too fast, impoverished. Essentially, you do this, then this is where it leads. But what happens if the equation fails? Right? When, when, when good works plus diligence do not equal abundance. We do not, as a people, generally or as readily turn to the book of Job. But it is a book all about life when the equation fails. You may recall the story of Job. Job's this righteous man, right? He's a man who follows God, who fears the Lord. Uh, He's a man who has much, a man of means. Then one day, enemy forces come and take all of Job's oxen and donkeys and kill some of Job's servants. And then a fire breaks out elsewhere on his property and kills still other servants and sheep. And, And in one fell swoop, his entire business is done. That same day, A great wind strikes his house, kills all of his children. Shortly thereafter, Job himself contracts leprosy. Job is emblematic of that question that gets asked in every generation, why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to good people? Although the other one gets asked too. (laughs) Not perfect people, right? Not sinless people, in fact, broken people, but people trying, trying to do the right thing. There's certainly a lot that could be said about the book of Job this morning and for weeks on end, honestly. But suffice it to say, Job longs to hear directly from God about Job's unjust suffering and the unjust suffering he sees in the world around all the places the equation has just failed miserably, right? Right? And in chapter 38, fairly late into this lengthy book, God finally responds to Job. And we're going to be looking at some of the reading you heard from Chris in chapter 38, as well as a couple other portions of chapter 38 and 39 that are all part of this long extended response from God as God addresses the weighty questions of of suffering and tragedy and pain, but not directly directly. Not by answering all of Job's questions about why. God leans in me and begins, you heard, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements, surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it, the measuring line for designing the earth? Rather abruptly, Job is taken from his suffering, his questions about suffering, to this consideration of the very foundation of creation. And there, God is speaking of God's self in the terms of a master builder who carefully determines the measures of creation, surveys it just so. Who, who among us has, has known one of those confident engineer or contractor types? Right? They know they've measured it, and, and they're right. God speaks as one like that. God's map has accounted for the biggest and smallest parts of the blueprint. Then God moves from the foundation of the earth to the sea in the ancient world. The the sea was representative of the chaotic and evil forces of the world. Who knit the sea together behind the doors? Who brought it forth gushing from the womb and prescribed bounds for it, set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall go and no further. And here your proud waves shall be stopped. Now God speaks as one who, who has knit the sea together, and, and, and it is the midwife who brought forth the sea, and then set limits. Job, I am in total control of the sea, who is a babe to me. God then has Job consider, uh, takes Job out to the middle of nowhere, this desert area where there are no people at all, and God points out how Rain falls on this vast area that no one ever sees or even considers, and yet God has remained mindful of that which is not even on our radar. What do you make of that, Job? No answers to suffering. Not even really addressing the suffering questions in a way that, 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 that seems callous. But what is given invites the beginnings of a reframing. If I've been this precise about creation, this attentive to the unknown and forsaken places even, what might this mean for suffering? Then... In Job chapter 39, God takes this tour of creation from, from the grand elements of the earth and the sea and, and, and goes down into the details with Job. The deer, the donkey, the ox, the horse, the ostrich, they all get mentioned. They all stop to observe, have a chance to observe them. Did you know the ostrich in particular gets six full verses of consideration from God to Job in the midst of his entire life just falling apart. The ostrich. In particular, God takes time to point out to Job the oddity of this creature whose wings can flap wildly but can't fly. And yet, even though it cannot fly, which would seem to be so fundamental to what it means to be a bird, God remarks, but when it spreads its feathers and runs, it laughs at the horse and its rider. For the ostrich can outrun the great horse. The ostrich may appear to have been overlooked, handicapped, and just wronged. But what about the paradox that makes it faster even than, than the most majestic of animals? And does such paradoxical observation hold true? And anywhere else in reality, Job, is is at least one question hidden under this observation. God continues with the theme of birds in chapter 39. How, Job, does the eagle know to nest on high in just the right spot? How does the eagle spy its prey from afar and its young ones know to get there and, quote, suck up blood where the slain are? Job, how do they know? And implied, Job, is it possible that even in death, even when one is slain, there is a feeding of life happening? The creation tour continues, and we do not have nearly the time to consider each stop on the tour. But suffice it to say, God's tack in responding to Immense suffering is strange at best and and, and offensive at worst. God, deal with the questions. If you're going to give Job a tour, shouldn't you at least be stopping off at some of the great seminaries, some of the great universities? So that Job might be able to, to mine the depths of the knowledge and the why and the wherefore of, of, of those first order questions that are pressing acutely into his lives, Should not you go among the great philosophers, the scribes, the rabbis? Grade school children takes field trips to the zoo. Class trips to the park, right? Does not Job, do not we deserve more of an explanation. I love how the Presbyterian minister and writer Frederick Buechner once observed uh, about how many of us are prone to think about God's approach to Job here. Buechner says, one of the blunders religious people are particularly fond of making is the attempt to be more spiritual than God. We are sometimes sure that the deepest, most probing questions and pains and problems need the highest theological abilities, the deepest depth of of knowledge, the wisest of the wise, the learned of the learned, the most experienced of experience, for us to have any hope in mining all of that. And God thinks, actually, if you're in the midst of great suffering, or you're carrying great suffering, or you know such weights at any level, perhaps it would be a gift for you to just walk among God's handiwork. And note for a while the complexity, the precision, the oddity, the beauty the rhythm of life, and death, and life? What if a field trip among creation was God's highest level theology class, specially formatted for those weighed down by any number of the ways the equation has failed? And what if in walking that class, answers never came? But instead, what if amid creation, something began to reopen within? A, a spacious place was made. A sense of trust, a renewed glimmer uh, of hope, as eventually happens for Job himself. To be sure, there is an unexpectedness to this tact. It risked being received as outright foolishness in light of the gravity of pain and injustice. And yet in some ways it foreshadows still a greater foolishness of God's because God's clearest response to the problem of suffering and evil and tragedy is that God comes among us, right? And Jesus Christ. And he is righteous and unlike Job, entirely righteous, utterly sinless, utterly powerful, God in perfection and strength and love and he lets the Proverbs equation Fail. Jesus is nailed upon a cross by way of an unjust trial. He takes upon himself all measure of the world's suffering, evil, tragedy. On the cross, he bears every form of sin and pain and death itself. How is that an answer to my suffering, our suffering? That doesn't tell me why that happened and why this is happening right now. Jesus' ultimate answer to all the suffering and evil is not to explain it, but to do what must seem so foolish, to be utterly righteous and good and choose to experience the full depth of our suffering, injustice, tragedy. God's deepest wisdom is to come alongside us in the dark. And with this God, there is always, somehow, three days later, a rising of the kind that we could never have thought to ask for or imagine. Or as the eagle's routine proclaims, with this God, even in death, there is a feeding of life happening. Dare we trust this? Have we known this? I've shared with you all before how my parents divorced when I was 16. A very painful season in, in my life. All the more so because generally we did things the right way, right? We, we went to church, we, we prayed, we read our Bibles, we tried to love God and love neighbor. And, and good things happen to good people who aren't perfect but are diligent and faithful, right? That's the equation. It was the first time I ever felt the equation fail abjectly painfully I had a good friend from church and from school who I've also talked about before named David and his parents had this lodge about 2 hours outside of Cincinnati where I grew up in in the farmlands of Kentucky and since we just learned to drive we'd go to this lodge every uh, couple months we'd build a fire outside we'd cook up dinner we'd hang out we'd talk or not talk bring up the divorce or not. Truth is, I can't remember many of the words that were shared on those nights. I can barely remember the, really the, the lodge itself, the look, the layout. I remember at this point two things. How very dark it was. And how very bright it was. Far removed from the urban, suburban realm, have you ever seen the night sky blanketed with stars? And my friend, the gift of an empathizing presence offering no explanations but bearing my suffering. And that brightness amidst the dark it carried. David's friendship was was an instrumental reason I eventually chose Davidson College where he also attended. It was instrumental uh, to the reason I chose to take a class my freshman year called Letters and Thoughts of Paul because I wanted to learn more about this God. It was in that particular class that I met this young woman named Michelle with whom I have been married these last 17 years. None of this directly answers the questions or pain around the divorce, not at all. No amount, I think, of any of our stories answer the cries, the hurts, the failed equations we have known that we live with that we are living with. What we are assured of is that with our God, the barren places, not even on our radar, are getting rain. The overlooked and the wrong and the wronged, they're blessed with more strength than we realize. And there is a feeding and death. And sometimes these strange truths that, that do not seem to add up in the least, most of the time, are best seen afresh by taking a trip. In God's creation. Might a hike be in order for some of us this week? Or the other place we can always go, and perhaps the reason we are here today, we can always go again before the center of God's foolishness, where we declare that there is rain among the barren. The overlooked and wronged Far stronger than we realize. And there is. There is a feeding in death. Amen.